Galatians chapter 6, verse number 8. It's good to see you and your family tonight, my friend, in the house of the Lord. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He that sows to his flesh shall reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Pretty plain, isn't it? Any, anybody have a conclusive idea on your thoughts tonight? What, what would you prefer? To sow to the flesh or to sow to the Spirit? Amen. The basic essence of Paul's letter to the Galatians and we'll deal with this in a little bit, is don't give up. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season, you will reap. The message to them is, tough times come, sin abounds, pressure is there, live for God. Tonight, I want to tell you, this is not my title, we're just going to talk about the the book of Galatians, especially chapter 6, but I want to tell you and admonish you in the beginning tonight, times are going to get tough, dark days abound, I want you to understand that. You're going to be pressured on every side. But you are not abandoned. You are struck down. You are not destroyed. You're persecuted on every side. But God has not forsaken us. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him tonight, if you want to live for God, you will. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There is... In the fifth chapter, there is leading into what we now see as the sixth chapter, of course, understanding that when Paul wrote this letter, there was not chapters one through six, so you got to kind of take the chunk as a whole. But I I want to just go back to the fifth chapter, if I can tonight, and uh, work our way through just a little little expository type uh, understanding of what he is saying in the context of chapter 6. In chapter 5 and verse number 1, he admonishes the church at Galatia to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. This is a key point to understanding who it is he is writing to when he says, And be not entangled, what's the word? Again. This means these people are not new converts. In other words, they're not being converted. They have already been converted. He said, don't be entangled again. So the essence is, God has already brought you out of sin. This is who we're dealing with. These are people that have been Washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he said, now that Christ has made you free, stay free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Do not run back to what God has set you free from. And get yourself tangled up in it again. It becomes more and more difficult every time you jump into that dark web. To get yourself untangled from whatever it was. And I tell you furthermore what happens is that the more you entangle yourself. The more you justify your entanglement. It gets easier and easier to miss church. It gets easier and easier to miss prayer. It gets easier and easier to miss that fast day. And you start entangling yourself. I've said this a million times in my life. That's a stretch. But I've said it thousands of times more than likely and heard it preached hundreds of times that you can ask anyone who has been converted, when were you baptized in Jesus' name? And they'll tell you when they were baptized. You can ask them, when did you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And they can tell you pretty close to when they got the Holy Ghost. But if you walk up to someone who is entangled again and has backslidden and walked away from the church, 
You ask them the question, when did you backslide? They can't give you a date and time. Because entanglement is a process that happens one less prayer a day, one less fast day a week, one less service a week. And you begin to be entangled into a web that eventually you're not going to be able to crawl out of yourself and you will justify in your mind why you're there. And then you start justifying by the actions of others. Well, they got by with it. You don't know that. Not everything is as it appears. And I wouldn't take my chances that they got by with it because it looks like they got by with it here. I know the record keeper. So I'm not going to be lost because somebody else is taking a chance. I'm not going to lose my soul because somebody else is willing to risk theirs. I'm telling you tonight that when you stand before the Lord and you make it to the other side and you stand in His presence, it will be absolutely worth everything it has cost you until that point. It's going to be worth it all. So, He is saying to them, once you have been converted, don't go back to what you were converted from. Now, how do we do this? Let's run down very quickly to verse 16 in chapter 5. We're going to work our way through. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is the easiest teaching and preaching in the whole wide world. Because it teaches itself. If you do fleshly stuff long enough. It'll win. This isn't even hard. I love it when the apostle just preaches for you. I say then, walk in the spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. It's a contradiction. The spirit against the flesh. They're like oil and water. These are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Man, have I heard that misled. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Here comes a neat little phrase right here. And such like. Pastor, why isn't there chapter and verse for every work of the flesh? Because there's not a big enough book to contain it. You know why the Apostle Paul didn't preach against going to the movie theater? Because there wasn't one. You understand what I'm saying? There are things that change as time progresses. I'm not 100% sure that the Apostle Paul would have been really, really happy with the way that the 21st century church handles social media. Some people would fall right there in that such like category. Boy, you could preach that all day. And such like. Similar to these. In other words, if it's a gray area, let this fill it in for you. It can be such like adultery. It can be such like fornication. Well, you know, Pastor, 
I, I just think the Bible's really, really clear about adultery. It, it is. But we need to be clear about such like because I want to tell you right now that adultery has taken on a different face in the 21st century. There are people that are messed up in their marriages and in their hearts that have never met another person face to face. They got some such like going on with private messages and text messages and Instagram messages and Snapchats. Well, I never cheated on her. Well, that's because they were in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And that's probably not a beautiful woman sending you pictures. It's probably a big old hairy, ugly guy. Can you imagine? It's a trucker and his name is Bill. I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember the number exactly, but I, I heard it quoted the other day. Someone said, uh, it was something close, don't, don't quote me on this for sure. Somebody said, I believe it was like $27 billion or something like that was what the porn industry, uh, the revenue generated by the pornography industry last year. Somebody say such like. Well, I was never with another woman. Where's your motive? Pastor, why are you teaching this? Because we need to. It's real. We got to deal with it. And I want to tell you why. It's because sin has gotten more and more and more and more and more secretive. In my lifetime, that industry has changed so much because you had to be kind of a perv if you wanted to look at it. And you had to duck your head and pull your hat down low so nobody saw you when you went into the store. I mean, I remember when I was a little boy and we'd go to the, the old... Uh, two-story or three-story, whatever it was, video store here in town, and they had that room in the back. Was that Lee's? Is that what that was? Yeah. And you go upstairs right there, right by the hunting videos. That's where Mike Bingham wanted to go every Christmas. Let's go get hunting videos. And that whole wall right there are hunting videos, and then they had the flapping saloon doors. You walk through those, and it was Phil. What is that? Uh, you don't want to go in there. Just look at the deer. Just look at the deer. <laughs> that was then. And you, you actually had to get over the anxiety of walking up to the little high school age teenage girl that's up front that says, Cause I, I'm going to have to call my manager up here to ring you out because I can't do those. I'm not over 18. Right? I mean, back in the day, you'd spend... $3.99 a minute on the telephone just to feed your ego and make you feel like you were a man. And now, if you've got a dumb phone, I mean a smartphone, you can access whatever you want whenever you want. And you don't have to leave your family to go do it. We have men that will sit in the same room with their wives and their children Carrying on conversations and dealing with secret sin in front of their family. And such. Man, y'all are preaching so good. Now, this is a this is a, a, a powerful, a powerful little principle here that. I want you to get, let's look at, at the end of uh, verse number 21 as, as we're walking through. I've told you in uh, time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You preachers are all hellfire and brimstone. You preachers are fear mongers. 
You know, I don't even think that's possible anymore. I don't think you can scare somebody bad enough that don't want to live for God. Because if that right there don't scare you slapped to death, now if you're involved in this, this is not Pentecostal rhetoric. This is book. If that's what you're involved in, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. In basic English, you're not going. You're not going to, it don't matter if you do get lucky and get some slick-headed preacher that'll stand up by your casket and say, oh, they were precious and they're dancing in the presence of the Lord right now. There's holes in the floor of heaven and tears are pouring down. I don't care if they do get Vince Gill to play Go Rest High on that mountain. The Apostle Paul said, if this is what you're involved in, you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. And you know what? He's not talking to lost people. These are people, he said, don't be entangled again. This man is not preaching to save people. He is preaching to keep people saved. There is a difference. Well, we're not saved by works. No, we're not. We're saved by grace through faith. But Paul is saying right here, these works are going to keep you saved. What got you saved is what causes you to be born again. What keeps you saved is how you live a new life before the Lord. Some of us are stuck in the nursery with our mentality. We're still arguing and debating whether or not Acts 2.38 is right. Let's go ahead and settle the issue. It's right. We don't have to argue that anymore. But that is not a stopping place. That's where we're born again. That is the nursery. That's where it happens. That's where we're born again. That's where we take on a new nature. That's where we take on uh, the nature of Christ. Old things passed away. All things become new. But on this side of mercy, he said, there's some things in your life you're going to have to neglect to do. Some places you can't go back to. Some things you can't do anymore. You can't act that way anymore. And if you do, if you do, Well, we need to give people alternatives, Pastor. I'm not sure I quite understand the concept of the alternative thing. Because Paul gives us an alternative right here. But, somebody say but. That's a neat conjunction, isn't it? It means I said all of that, but you need to understand this. The fruit of the Spirit. These are the works of the flesh. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there's no law. Live right, do right, love people. Amen. They... Oh boy, this gets this this really gets good. They that are Christ, how many of you feel like you belong to Him? Boy, I love that. That's a good feeling in here. I'm my beloved's. He is mine. His banner over me is love. If you are Christ, you have crucified. The flesh with the affections and lusts. Lust, affection. Isn't it crazy how Paul uses the language of affection and lust? Like these are oftentimes used synonymously in our language with love. And here's the reason why. The cornerstone of what we are, our understanding of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad, right? Deuteronomy 6 and 4, here Israel, the Lord our God is one. Thou shalt what? Love. You can't love both. If you have crucified your love and lust for the things of the world, then you can love God with all your heart. 
We're going we're to go to kindergarten Sunday school class right here for just a second. I can't love God with 65% of my heart and that be enough for me to be saved. I know that's so simple, oh my Lord. I was a boy, Sister Bingham was my Sunday school teacher at the time we were in the orange classroom. Orange shag carpet. The women's prayer room. My grandmother drew a, a big heart on the chalkboard. She began to talk. She said, what do you love? Man, we started talking. I love Corvettes. You know how kids are. I love my doggy. I love my, my mamma. I love, I love, I love. And every time we would say I love, she would take chalk and just fill in a little bit of that heart. And boy, she went around the room. What do you love, Bri? What do you love, Michael? What do you, what do you love, Luke? What do you love? We went all the way around the room. What do you love? Oh, I love this. Well, what, what would, if you could have anything in the world, what would you want? Oh, I, man, I'd want a Mustang. Okay, well, she filled that in. Well, in a few minutes, she had that whole heart colored in. And she just stopped and she goes, now where's the room for Jesus? I was like, easy there, Grandma. I feel like you set me up on the tee there and just gave me the boot. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus took care of this. He said where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. You can try to convince people with your mouth that your treasure is in the house of God. But it will be revealed in your actions by the things that your heart is sold out to. Somebody say amen or oh me. It's tight but it's right. If you're Christ, your flesh... Has been crucified. If we live in the spirit. Let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. Provoking one another. Envying one another. Now let's go to chapter 6. Pastor. This is so hard to live. I am not perfect like all these other spiritual people. Well, Paul puts it in here to help us understand that even when you're trying your best, sometimes you're going to get weak. And he says in chapter 6 and verse number 1, Brethren, is he talking to sinners here or brothers? Brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault. What? Pastor, you mean it's okay to be human? You mean it's okay to be flesh? I'm telling you right now, every day of my life, I do my best to live for God. And sometimes I fall short. It's not an intentional effort of mine. It's not because I woke up and said, I'm just going to say something stupid today. I'm going to be rude to somebody today. I'm going to talk to my wife like I shouldn't today. I'm going to not be the father that I should be today. It's because I am human flesh. But it's the principle that we've got to get in our spirit. I die daily. I've got to be sure when I wake up and be sure when I lay my head down that somewhere in between that, if I've fallen short of what I should be and what I should be doing, that God knows I am right with the Lord before I go to bed. Now, I, I know I'm fixing to get down here where y'all are living for just a minute, so stay with me now. But some of us think that just because we're not dipping and smoking and drinking and whatever, well, we're going to make it. We've got the works of the flesh taken care of. I want to talk to you about that for just a minute. That little Jesus fish on your car doesn't do anything for somebody when you're giving them the one finger wave out the window. We were in a, a little... Meeting of the minds with some of the staff the other day. 
Someone brought up the idea, and I'm not saying we're never going to do it, but someone brought up the idea about putting church decals on the back of our windows, getting them for the whole church. We've done that before. But people sell vehicles. And they don't always take decals off when they sell them. And I've been greeted by people from our church in this town that are not from our church. Their car said they were from here, but they weren't from here. Wish I had time to tell you the story of my father-in-law. You ain't from here, are you? But understand me when I tell you, I'm fixing to get real. So everybody got your belt on? You got your seatbelt on? You can dress right. Ladies, you can be holy and godly. You can leave that glory alone. Men, you can cut your glory and make it look right. You can, boy, you can fix it all. You can take care of get, you know, get it all just right. Be sure everything's fixed. Get that boy up. When I was a kid, if you're if if a man's hair got down over his collar a little bit, Bishop Bingham wasn't real happy with that. We came home from the barber shop one day, and that woman didn't cut my hair high enough off my collar. And I was introduced to the Schick straight razor. You can get all that fixed. You can get it all right. But if there's an invisible problem, it will manifest. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not being ugly. But there's going to be people that have dressed the part for years. That on that day, when they stand before the Lord, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to. Because issues that are invisible are by far, in my opinion, more powerful than things that are visible. Because visible things we can work on together and let God convict you and start moving with you and working with you. But when you got dead man's bones inside of you. Will we? I can't even get the choir to back me up up here tonight. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, then you that are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering... Oh, this is so powerful. Are y'all reading this with me right now? Okay, let's break it down Gerber style. You ain't got no business trying to heal people in this church if you're sick. You got no business laying hands on people in the altar. If you're not living right. It's quiet. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. Lest he fall. Listen. You may think you're strong. You may think you're something. But if you're not prayed up, ready to meet the Lord... And you go trying to help people in your carnal state. What's on them may be more powerful than what's in you. You know why Jesus wasn't afraid to touch a leper? Because what was in him was more powerful than what was on them. It's a principle you got to get. You got to get so full of the Holy Ghost. That you're not going to be tempted to fall with somebody that has fallen into what you used to be in. You got to have enough Holy Ghost to sit down with them and say, I've been where you are, but by the grace of God, I'm free. I've seen it, man. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen people do it. Pastor, I'm not going to relapse. I'm just, I can't cut them loose. I can't, I can't leave them alone. I'd be forsaking them. You better be careful the environment you hang in. I'm just telling you right now, if you were a dope dealer, 
and you were delivered from, from dope, you can't go back to the dope house and hang out with your friends and stay clean. And we can take this everywhere. You just fill in the lines. It ain't got to be dope. You understand what I'm saying? You can't, you can't just connect yourself to everybody and say, oh, well, I'm spiritual now. You got to take heed lest thou be tempted yourself. Somebody say, be strong. You got to be strong. Got to be prepared. This is kind of like if I could draw a picture for you. Uh, back, back in the day when, we'd, when we were lifting weights and we would do what we call max out, you know, you, you push to your, to your max, you would get a spotter. Somebody that if the weight was too heavy for you, they could help lift the load and get it off of you. And I want to draw you a picture. I want to draw you a picture of me laying down on a, on a bench with more weight than I can handle on it. Getting that weight off the, the, the rack and bringing it down to my chest. Can't get it off of me and screaming to the other room and saying, Jocelyn, come get this off me. Jocelyn's my baby. You understand what I'm saying? She can't get that off me. She's not strong enough. Man, I'm, I'm preaching pretty good right there. If you're not strong enough, don't be trying to get stuff off people. The best thing you can do instead of laying hands on them is to kneel down right beside them and say, God, give me an alignment. Whatever I got to do, I want to be right with you. I want to be sure before I'm imparting my stuff to them. Man, we don't talk about this stuff anymore. I believe too much in the power of impartation for carnal people to be running around in this altar laying hands on people. I, I believe too much in impartation for that. I believe if you have succumbed to a spirit of lust or whatever it is, just fill in the blank, and you come up and try to get that off of somebody else, that you're actually imparting your problem to them. Is that all right? Here's the phrase. You which are spiritual, restore such a one. Now let me talk to you about this really quickly. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to hurry. I don't, want to, I don't want to lose you here. I don't want you falling off on me here. I want to give you some sound doctrine. There is a key word in this verse, in 6 and 1, that never gets the focus and the energy it deserves. You which are spiritual, restore. I want to talk to you about restoration. There is a concept. It's false doctrine and it's not sound. That if you backslide and get away from God... That you can do whatever you want to do with no consequences when you come back to God. Rut row. We're fixing to get real right here. I'm telling you right now. Restoration is a work for the backslider. Reconciliation. Repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, this is a work for a new believer. There's a vast difference in being born again and being restored. You cannot be born again again. Oh, boy. I've hit that old wall right here for just a minute. I can't be born again of water and spirit, live for God do whatever I want to do when I backslide and then come back to God and just act like it never happened. I'm not saying restoration doesn't work, but rest, listen, we grow in grace. Grace don't grow. Read it for yourself. We grow in grace. Like grace has boundaries that we grow inside of. When I was a little, a little baby, I could run around the, the living room, like run laps around the coffee table. If I tried to do that right now, I'd knock everything over. Why? Because I grew in the room. Right. Right. 
You understand what I'm saying? You remember when you were little and your grandparents' house felt so big? Then you became a man or a woman, and you're like, oh, this house doesn't feel as big as it used to. Why? Did the house shrink? No. You grew. There are parameters that people don't ever talk about in the grace and the mercy of God. Yes, it reaches further down than you could ever run. Absolutely. But understand me when I tell you there is such thing. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid that we continue in sin. Understand, Pastor, when I tell you tonight that you can't just leave the Lord, come out and do whatever you want to do, and then come back and say, well, when I prayed back through, I was born again again. No, you weren't. If you're going to be restored, the nature of this very word, in the, in the original Greek, this word restore means to return back to a previous position, previous standing. I leave the Lord my goal is not to come back and be born again. I am reestablished back in the grace that I was in. In other words, I don't leave a full-grown man of God and come back an infant in God. Am I making sense right now? So if I leave the church and then I come back, I don't get restored as a toddler in the spirit again. I am restored as a man or a woman who is fully understanding. I made some mistakes, but I don't get the luxury of coming back and saying, Well, I was backslid. You, you, you get what I'm saying? I don't want this at all to make it look like mercy can't reach us and grace can't find us. That's not what I'm saying. But this sloppy agape mess, this sloppy grace stuff, it's killing us. When we tell people, well, you know, the Lord just, he just, he just understands and you come back in and start over. You don't always get to start over. You got to put your big boy britches on and come back to the Lord and say, I made some mistakes, but I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for him with all my heart. And you pick up where you're at and you move on in God and you do great things for the Lord. Somebody shout, restore. Not restart. Restore. You don't restart such a one. You restore such a one. You work with them in the spirit of humility. Because God knows none of us have been perfect. And we got to get over ourselves when we sit down with them. And be, What's your problem? Who you think you are? Well, you, you better be careful throwing them darts. Restoration never happens in judgment. Whoa. And that was a good chance for somebody to clap right there. Bear you one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, there seems to be, in some people's mind, a contradiction between verse number 2 and verse number 5. But I want to work through this with you very quickly. Verse 4. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. I'm not going to make you snore in Greek tonight and dream in Hebrew. But the word burden in verse 2 and the word burden in verse 5 are not the same word. To bear one another's burdens in verse 2 is saying help somebody lift the load. But the context of the word burden in verse 5 that every man is going to bear his own burden is speaking in the future context of his weight, his, his eternal weight rests solely on him. The, ver, the, 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 the Greek word in the second verse, bear one another's burdens, alludes to the fact of a, of a donkey bearing a burden, a, a beast a burden. In other words, if I can help you lift the load in the, in the process of restoration, if I can lift some load off you and help you, I want to restore you in humility. 
But by verse 5, you understand that that man, no matter how much you help bear his burdens, he's going to bear the burden of his salvation on his own. It's a future tense. Every man shall bear. This, this verb is future tense. Shall bear. It's like Paul is alluding to the fact that when he stands before God, he can only bear that burden for himself. So I can help you bear your burdens, but I can't bear your burden. You're going to have to stand before the Lord for yourself and say, I was strong enough to do this, and I made it. And I want to tell you tonight and encourage you in the Holy Ghost, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, no matter what's happened to you, you can make it. You can bear that burden. You can get under the load of this thing and be saved. You can do it. Well, I backslid, Pastor, and I've gone so far. No, no, no. You can do it. You may have to fix some mistakes. You may have to outlive some stuff. You may have to get out from under some things. But you can bear that burden. Somebody shout amen or oh me. Are you ready to go home? Are you tired yet? Because I'm, I'm just about done, so stay with me. Let every man, this is the context, verse 4, let every man prove his own work. Verse 5, because he's going to have to bear his own burden. Prove your own work because you have to bear your own burden. Now, uh, let's, just, let's just move forward. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That's powerful. I, I wish we had time to stay on that for a little while. But I want to touch on this. Uh, verse 7, we hear it quoted a lot. But I'm going to give you some sound doctrine right here. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. This word mocked, this is the only time, the only time that this word is used. Now, I'm not saying the word mocked. I'm saying this word right here in the Greek. This verse is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And the literal interpretation, the, the definition of this word mocked means to turn your nose up at God. Be not deceived. You're not going to flip your nose up at God. That's what he said. You're not going to walk by God and... Who you think you are? You're not. You're not going to do that. Now there are other words in the in the in the context of understanding that that we can use, but this particular word, one time. And the apostle said, "Don't you dare be deceived by thinking that you're going to flip your nose up at God and walk out of there and be all right." This is a blasphemous word. This is a this is a word that says. I used to think I needed him. But now I am so smart that I don't need him anymore. So, good riddance. He said, don't you be deceived. If you flip that nose up at God, you just remember the principle. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. He said, don't be deceived. And stick your nose up in the air and tell God you know better. Because at the end of the day, you're not the judge. That pastor that's telling you you can do whatever you want to do is not the judge. Well, I can find somewhere else to go that will let me do that. Well, then go get it. But don't be deceived. Because you're going to have to walk right by that conviction that God gave you. And flip your nose up at it and say, it must not be important. You cannot lighten the load of the gospel without compromising personal conviction. You can't. Period. You can't change doctrine without compromising personal conviction. That is exactly why doctrines changed anyway. Dig it out. Go, go, go look. 
All, all these crazy doctrines we could, I could take you, man, I wish I had time to take you through some of them. Novation. Was this sprinkle baptism? You know why it happened? Because this is a deathbed baptism. It was convenience, novation, sprinkled a guy because he didn't want to take him down in water, the deathbed. So they started sprinkle baptizing the church because if it was good enough for the guy that was about to die, it's good enough for the children too and their families. So let's just do it. How'd that happen? Well, because they had to turn their nose up at baptism by immersion. So, well, guess we don't need it. And so now the encyclopedias and whatever that they've all tried to get rid of themselves, now they got to go back and read their own history that at one point in time, every single person that was a Christian had to be baptized by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. That's not Bible, that's history. And history said there was nobody being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And especially by sprinkling until novation. It was a doctrine of convenience. It's a doctrine that if I can't explain the Godhead, then I'll make my own Godhead. And I don't want to apply myself to the Scripture Folks, listen to Pastor tonight. I, I don't have time to stay here. I've taught this uh, before, but I just want you to hear me tonight. Constantine, the head of all of these councils, the false doctrine, 324, 381. Constantine, the Council of Nicaea, all of this is introduced. Do you understand the man refused to be baptized himself into the church, but wanted everybody else to be in the church. That's because it had nothing to do with a relationship with God and everything to do with governmental power and exercising authority of the church in the nations. He wanted people to be baptized and he would not be baptized himself because he did not believe in it. This is the same man that murders his own wife and son, right? Oh, God. Murders his own wife and son because he's afraid that they're going to take his power. And this is where that false doctrine comes from of creedal theology. And we buy into it and we're like, oh yeah, 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 that's great. You know why the doctrine changed? Because somebody turned their nose up to it and said, mm. I don't. I don't really know how to explain it because I'm not spiritual enough, so I'm just going to flip my nose up at it. But he said, don't you dare be deceived. God is not mocked. You're not going to turn your nose up at him, and whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Folks, I want to tell you right now, before the coming of the Lord, you think the cover's been jerked right now. But before the coming of the Lord, that cover will be fully jerked off of that Roman Empire, and it will be fully revealed the perversion that is a byproduct of the seed of flipping their nose up at God and walking by Him and sowing in that. Hey Amen. I'm about done. You can stay with me. I don't want to be a part of something that has turned its nose up to God and had to bypass convictions to be satisfied. Can you imagine? Whatever a man soweth, soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. This is the same word that they would have used uh, for decaying bodies in a tomb or a grave. The corruption, the, the smell, the stench. He that sows to death and stench and breakdown, that's what he's going to reap. Let us not be weary. In well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of whichever household of whatever faith they want to believe. No, of the household of faith. As I close tonight, I want to make something very clear to this congregation. 
None of us are perfect. But it's not an excuse to stop striving for perfection. Not as though I've already attained. But we've got to get laser sharp focused in the end time and be so intentional about our decision making about what we're preaching, about what we're teaching, about how we're living before the Lord. We've got to get this in our spirits. The reason why your pastor believes it the way I believe it and I preach it as hard as I preach it is because I know whatever I'm sowing, what I'm going to reap. So if I stand up here and I preach compromise, guess what's going to fill the seats? Let's stand together. There are going to be things in your life that you may not have chapter or verse for, but you feel convicted by the Holy Ghost not to do it. So once you have searched through the scripture and you can't find it, but you feel led of the Lord to do that, then what you need to do is ask yourself a question and this will answer the source. Does this draw me closer to God or further away from God? If it draws me closer to God then it's of the Lord. If it takes me further from the Lord, it's not of God. This is not hard. But whatever I'm sowing, that's what I'm reaping. You believe that tonight? This was such a fun Bible study for me tonight because the apostle makes it so very clear that if you want to live for God, you will. You will. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we honor your great name tonight and we thank you for your holy word. Wherein is life. And I pray tonight, O oh great God of heaven, that this word will take deep root in fertile soil and that it will grow there. That the word of God, Lord, will become more rich to us every day. That you will walk with us and talk with us as we pursue to walk in your spirit. God, for those that have become weak and fallen, let them know there is hope for restoration. Yes. We've got to dust off our shoulders and dust off our feet and stand back up, square our shoulders up and live for the Lord. It's just that simple. God, we're going to have to do our very best. That's all you can ask of us. But you don't deserve anything less than my very best. I honor you tonight, not only with the words of my mouth, but I want to honor you with my life. I bless you and I thank you for this congregation. We ask you to be with us and cover us with your blood until the next appointed time. In the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray.